Well, with this morning we're going to um, jump into our Advent Christmas series. And uh, I hope as Robin has prayed that in each of these, I think it and hope for it every single Sunday morning that, you know, the Word of God, this, this book that God has blessed us with, inspired and true, um, come from His heart, come from His mind, that it would do more than just inform your mind, but it would move your heart and actually bring change into your life. That's why I go to Scripture, right? I need to hear from God, and this is how it happens. So I'm, I'm going to speak on something called the Jesus Factor. And I thought in, in terms of, of this, this Christmas season, um, of, 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 of addressing the question of the reality of Jesus coming into the world and how we might factor him into the reality that we know. You know, what does it mean that Christ has come in our lives? What's the Jesus factor for you, if anything? What's the Jesus factor for the reality of the entire world? And particularly, what does it mean in this festive season? I hear that and I just think of Swiss Chalet. I don't know about you. But that shows you the power of advertising. But we want it to be more than chicken and stuffing and what are those little canned chocolates they give out? Toblerone. No, not Toblerone. They've, they've jumped ship. They're elsewhere now. Lindor. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. But the whole thing is rooted in this idea that God came to earth in Bethlehem. Now take a minute with that. We who are Christians, we who have followed Jesus for quite a long time, that's just like, you know, sliced bread. That's normal stuff. But when people hear that reality in relationship to a child being born in Bethlehem who haven't heard it before, it blows their minds. You mean God, the divine one, the creator, the all-powerful one, the one who knows all things, was born as a child in Bethlehem? God Almighty came to earth? It's a, it's a, like it really is an astounding claim. And it's a, it's a challenge to believe for so many people. It's a big, big deal. You know, we think of it for lots of reasons and we believe it for lots of reasons, those of us who do. You know, hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that were given hundreds of years before Jesus was born and in his birth, every single one of them was fulfilled. It's like, hello, <laughs> how could that happen? If he wasn't God. Angels, we believe in this record that we're given to in Scripture, came to Mary and Joseph and Zechariah to tell them about what God was about to do. It was announced to shepherds by angels that the, that the child had been born. And then, of course, this incredible life Jesus lived. Has there anybody, ever been anyone like him? You see, the point is that in the birth of this child, a remarkable, um, critical, human-centered dynamic happened. And we have to figure out what the Jesus factor is for us, for each of us and for our world. So today, we're going to do it this way, first of all. We're going to think about how the first coming of Jesus needs to cause us to think about his second coming. You ever thought of it in that way? Advent season is a season when historically we do this. You know, the fact that Jesus came the first time suggests that he came the first time so that he can come a second time. Get that. Why did he come? What was the coming really all about? Let me put it to you this way. We now live in an in-between time. Have you thought of it in those terms? In Jesus' birth, the kingdom of God came. He said that himself. The kingdom is near you. What he was essentially saying is, because I'm here, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come because the king, the ruler of the kingdom, is with you. He was defining himself in those terms. 
when he spoke in that way. Through his life, the reign of God was initiated in the world in order, listen to me, to take back the world from whom? Old translations, Ephesians 2.2 says the prince of the power of the air. New translations say the ruler of the kingdom of the air. A different kingdom, a different ruler, that ruler being the devil who ruled in a sense on earth, not, under, not without the sovereign rule of God, but he came and he invaded and sin penetrated the reality of this creation and it dominated Jesus came in Bethlehem, I'm telling you, to save us from the power and the influence of evil. This world and your life. You know, Jesus came and he died and he rose again and by his spirit he formed the church so that we could participate in, and you know this IPC if you've been here for a while, the restoration of this world so that it can become what God wants it to become under the full and complete reign of God. Someday there'll be justice and not the injustice that we know now in this world. Someday there'll be love and kindness that is the norm and not hate and violence. There'll be peace and not conflict and war. Someday there'll be selflessness, not a selfishness that seems to be so prominent in this world. And so on until God's vision of the world made new becomes a reality. But we're not there yet. And here's what theologians call it. I've often found this phrase quite odd, but I'm not kidding you. They call it the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God has come and we experience God in the world. We taste the kingdom, a little bit of it. We experience God. We see him answering prayers. We see him moving by his Holy Spirit. He changes and transforms our lives. He causes people to act in love and in grace and in kindness and in selflessness. He changes lives. So the kingdom has come now, but not in its fullness. Now and not yet. Then someday Jesus will come back and we'll know it in its fullness. So life is good and blessings are abundant in this life. Don't you agree? But, but, there's still a lot of suffering in this life and heartache and pain. Anybody want to deny that today? It's almost laughable. Somebody laughed a little bit over here. We all know it. We live it. We live with the blessing of God if we know him. We, know, we live with his presence. We live with his grace and his goodness. We live with an experience of God that is real and life-changing. But we also live with suffering and heartache and loss and pain. Evil is still powerful in this world. It's still here. Sin is still at work in all of us, in all of its destructive power, right? Or is it different in your life somehow than in mine? That's what caused the Apostle Paul to write Romans chapter 7. What a wretched man that I am. He's struggling with the reality in his heart of hearts. He just wants to live for Christ and live in obedience to God out of love. But he can't do it. He says this thing called the flesh is still powerful and and sin is still at work in me, he says. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body um, uh, that is subject to death? Then he says this, thanks to be God, to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's Jesus who will deliver us someday completely from the power of sin. It's Jesus. Now, not only does sin and evil work itself into our hearts and it's still there and it's still real and it's still powerful, that translates into how we 
governing the earth. You know, injustice and oppression, that thing which the prophets of the Old Testament were so incredibly opposed to, it still happens, doesn't it? War, violence, it still happens, doesn't it? The kingdom has come, but it's still there, kind of in a macro sense. People still suffer. Famines still happen. You know, in nature, it's fallen earthquakes and hurricanes and floods still kill and destroy. Never part of God's created intention. Sin and sickness and disease, sickness and disease still happen to you and me, right? Death still happens as opposed to what one day will be. I want to read to you from Romans 8, verse 22. And I want us to think about that in the verse which will follow in a minute. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, how many women here have given birth? Tell me how painful it is. You laugh? Is that it? How painful is childbirth? Because the whole creation, all of it, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. How painful is childbirth? excruciating, painful, other words, come on, nasty. <laughs> guys, don't laugh. You know, I, guys, please. Well, and if you've been there, guys, you know how incredibly painful it is. It produces something incredibly beautiful. But a woman has to go through this incredible pain to see the reality become. Right? The whole creation, Paul writes, is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present moment. We're groaning because sin and evil are still prominent and real and powerful in our lives and in this world. We groan, but yet we know something's coming. Question for you. Do you groan? You know, you're part of creation, right? Do you groan? Next verse, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. I talked about that, right? We know the presence of God in our lives. We know his power. We know his goodness. We know his grace. We see him answer prayers. We see him changing lives, ourselves included. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Honestly, my friends, who groans here? I'm going to tell you where I groan, and I think where we all groan. Much of this happened, or at least has been in the news this week. You know, when I groan, I hear about a young woman in India who was on her way to a court date to confront her accu uh, the accused, whom she claimed had sexually assaulted her. And instead of getting to the court, she was met by those accused men who raped her again and burned her alive. Do you groan? I groan because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> this isn't what God wants. And someday, my friends, we're going to get beyond something as cruel and terrible as that. And I look forward to that day. Do we groan when we hear of the 30th anniversary of the massacre of 11 women at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal as happened this week? When one man filled with hatred and rage gunned down 11 women just because they were women. 
You groan? I groan. <laughs> and I grieve. Do you groan when you hear, as I did on the radio this week, that in the London Diocese of the Roman Catholic Church, 36 priests were named as sexual abusers? Do you groan when you hear of yet another teenager who's taken his life in our own community? <laughs> I groan. Do you groan when you struggle with depression or anxiety or loneliness or fear or whatever emotional struggle you're cursed with? And you say, Lord, free me from this. Because you know someday he will. Do you groan when you fall to temptation and the power of sin once again, when all that is in your heart of hearts is a sincere and deep longing to honor Jesus with your life? I want to tell you, we groan when someone we know, <clears throat> whether it be ourselves or a close loved one, is battling a serious, life-threatening disease. And we know someday that that will end. But, and we groan in the moment, and it hurts, and it's hard. Do you groan when you stand beside the bed of a loved one in a hospital who is dying, and your heart breaks, as I have in recent years? See, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, in the tra old translations that actually use the Greek word maranatha, but the word means, and the way it's translated now, it's come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Because I don't want that to be anymore. I want us to get beyond this, this cruel, evil, destructive reality that I have to put up with in my life. Come, Lord Jesus, come and set us free. You see, my friends, creation groans, and we as part of creation groan with it. And we cry out to the Lord because we know he's coming again. And we look forward to that day when these things and so much more. I could have made a list that would have filled the rest of today if I wanted we know those things will cease and they will be no more because Jesus has come. Let me talk to you about, about this second coming. Let me talk to you about this reality that as Jesus' first birth was once prophesied, his first coming was once prophesied, so now his second coming has been prophesied. I want to read to you from Revelation 19, 11 to 21. This is, this is the vision of John the Apostle speaking to a day which will come according to the authority of the word of God. He wrote, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. We're talking about Jesus here. With justice, he, will, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword to which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the lake, fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Some of you might have be asking yourself, Chris, why can't you just read the first part? That's the good stuff. Why do you have to read the last part? Anybody? I'm going to tell you, I'm, I read the latter part of that passage because the latter part is as much the word of God as the first part, and it's just as true. You see, Jesus is going to come again, and he is going to do battle with the reality of evil, and he is going to destroy it. It will be gone. It will be gone. And the result comes to his two chapters later, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. You probably hear this often at a funeral or, or otherwise, but it's a famous passage. But here's John the battle having been won, evil having been destroyed, he writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea, which represents evil in heaven, was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, this is the second death. You know, my friends, a day is coming, as this text says, <laughs> when everything will change. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more crying or, or grieving. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no evil at work in you or in me or in this world of ours. A day is coming because Jesus came the first time and because he's coming then a second time when this world will be changed. Forever. 
And my friends, that's the day that we look forward to. And we will groan until it happens. But it will happen according to the teaching of Scripture. You see, at the second coming of Jesus, this, this second advent, this second coming to the earth will not be like his first. You know, he, 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 he at first came in weakness, right? He came as an infant child who was ultimately crucified. But then he won't come in weakness. He will come as the all-powerful God with the armies of heaven behind him. In that day, he won't come in humility as he first came, being born in a stable and laid in a feeding trough, ultimately dying a humiliating death. No, in that day, he will come as the exalted and all-powerful Son of God. He won't come as he first came, kind of hidden from the world, born into a little unknown town or an obscure part of the world. No. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that every eye will see him. Every eye will see him and every knee will bow in his presence. See, my friends, Jesus is coming again and he is coming with purpose and he is coming in power to accomplish what he first came to do, to finish the job, to create the vision of this world that God has, which is free of sin and suffering, evil and death. I want to tell you this. If you don't know it, if you haven't know it, known it before, I want you to know it now that when Jesus comes in glory, we will share in his glory. We will share in his glory. Read with me Romans 8, this 18 to 21. These are the verses that precede that text about our groaning. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings, you have them, and I have them. You've had them and you will. But our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in who? Us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Who's going to be revealed? You are. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him, say it, in glory. What do you think about that? <laughs> What's glory? Well, if you don't know, you're not going to be very excited about what I just read from the Bible. But if you know what it is, I hope you're finding it difficult to just sit there doing nothing. Glory is, is that moment when people's eyes are opened. Think of it as Jesus. He will come riding on that horse with the armies of heaven behind him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the glory is essentially that thing which causes people to stand back and go, oh, my goodness. Wow the awesome reality of the presence 
of the Son of God coming again into this world. Glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As the children of God are revealed, people will look at you and go, oh my goodness, wow, awesome. Because your life has been caught up in the life of the glorious one. The living, all-powerful, majestic son of God. See, my friends, that's what awaits us. Not only freedom from evil and sin and its destructive power, what awaits us is the reality of glory because we are his. Because we are his. What is the Jesus factor? How do you factor this reality into your life? as we live with groaning and with expectation, as Roman 8 suggests. I'm going to say, say this to you. No matter how hard life is, and no matter how much we suffer, no matter how much pain we feel or fear we experience, struggle, difficulty, sickness, disease, death, my friends, we are a people who live in hope because we know that what we are living now will not always be. This reality that we experience with its negative influence, with its power, with its pain, it, it, it will be done away with and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, a new earth for us to live on. And we will be free of the heartache and the loss and the tragedy and the brokenness to live a life with God, free of all of that in his glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Anybody here today right now who's tempted to lose heart because of your life circumstance? No, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now just pause there for a minute. It doesn't matter what tragedy we live through. It doesn't matter how hard life can be from us. Paul describes them in comparison to the glory that we will reveal, be revealed in us. He describes those times of sufferings as light and momentary troubles. Now I know a lot of you have suffered. I have. And they don't feel like light and momentary troubles, right? They feel the opposite. But in comparison to the glory that you will experience, those troubles are achieving for you an eternity, eternal glory that far, far outweighs them all. Do you understand where you're headed, follower of Jesus? <laughs> Do you have any idea how incredible that day will be? When Jesus comes again, I think we have another verse to read, don't we? So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, what, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, not going to last, but what is unseen is eternal. God has a new heaven 
and a new earth for you to live on. No more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. He will be with us and he will be our God. And we will live in that place and that reality of glory forever. What this text says to us very simply is keep your eyes fixed on that reality, especially when you're suffering, I would suggest to you, especially in those incredibly difficult times, knowing that because Jesus once came to Bethlehem, he's going to, once, he's going to again come to this earth. And after that reality, everything will be made new. Our suffering will have ended. And we will know the reality of life with God as I've described it to you. I'm going to finish with a brief comment, because I feel I need to, on a second Jesus factor reality. And I want to take you to the words of Jesus uh, to do so. Matthew 24, 36 to 51. It says this. This is Jesus speaking about his second coming. And you know, he talked about it a lot. If you haven't studied it, time to dig in. Jesus said this, but about that day or hour, no one knows, nor even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day of day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, referencing himself. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would, have, would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And we'll stop there. <laughs> Here's the deal. Jesus is coming again, but we don't know when. And one of the primary things that we have to factor into our lives is not only an anticipation of an incredible reality. My friends, we have to be prepared for that moment in time. We have to be prepared for when Jesus comes again. And I'm here to ask you today, are you prepared for it? I think Jesus could come this afternoon. Could be another 10 years. It could be another century. We don't know. That's what Jesus said. But he could come this afternoon. And I'm asking you, are you prepared for his coming? Because it is those who have prepared themselves who will experience the glory that I have described to you. And it is those who have not prepared who will not experience his glory. Rather, it'll be judgment. In a reality that the Bible calls hell. How do you prepare for the coming of Jesus? You open your life to him. And you say, Lord, I'm caught up in this world and I'm caught up in the power of sin and I have 
and evil, and I have sinned so many times I can't even count it. I have to be honest with myself, and I have to be honest with you, but I come into your presence because I know you have come the first time, and you have died on a cross that I might be forgiven of my sin. Today I believe that reality, and I pray for my, my forgiveness in your presence. And I receive you into my life as my Savior and as my Lord, saving me from sin and its power. As my Lord, from this point, I will live with you. You will be my king, and I will follow you in your way. I tell you, my friends, when a human being does that, something tremendous happens. <laughs> Colossians calls it, uh, Paul wrote Colossians, he said, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom the dominion of darkness, sorry, into the kingdom of the Son whom he, the Father, loves. And in that moment, we have prepared ourselves for the second coming of Jesus. Have you done that? If Jesus were to come this afternoon, would you be so identified with him that you share his glory? If you haven't done that, I would really, really encourage you to do so. Think seriously about receiving Christ by faith, entering into that relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, being so associated with him by faith that you become a child of God forever his. And from that point forward, and this might have reference to others who have already done so, you live for the master. You live your life for the one who is the Son of God, the one who someday will return and be here. What's the conclusion to this Jesus factor question? Can I put it to you this way? This Christmas when you see Jesus in the manger of Bethlehem, will you also see him in his coming power. When you see Jesus in the manger, will you let your heart be filled with hope in the knowledge that this suffering we endure and this sin that we endure in this life, it's not going to last forever. It will end. And you will be free of it. When you see Jesus in the manger, Will you look at that reality and commit yourself to preparing well for the day which will come? The coming day of the Lord when we will be received into his arms or we will be judged according to our sin. I'm speaking of a serious thing, am I not? But my friends, it is the witness of Scripture, it is the communication of Scripture that every single one of us must deal with Jesus. And if we will but deal with him now, here in the present moment, we will have nothing to fear in that day, only an anticipation of glory and a freedom from sin that we all long for at the depth of our being. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray, and we'll conclude, and then we'll move toward communion. But... If there might be people here today who recognize their need 
of coming to Jesus in the way that I have described. You recognize not only who Jesus was in the manger, but you recognize who he will be in his second coming, but you have not yet received him into your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. To just simply, in the quietness of this place, I'm going to pray a prayer. You can just repeat it after me. And if you repeat it with all seriousness, you will become his forever. And able to look forward to that second coming with an incredible anticipation of what will be in your life. So let's pray. Lord God, there may be someone here today who has heard the truth of your word, Scripture. And they recognize that they need to do something to prepare well. That they need to turn to you by faith in Jesus. To confess their sin before you and to become your child. So that they can look forward to that second coming with incredible joy and anticipation. Lord, I pray just a very, very simple prayer for them now to repeat in the quietness of their own hearts. So if you sense God's just saying, pray the prayer, do it. And the Lord will forgive you and he will come into your heart and he will make you his child. Just pray this prayer if you wish. Dear God, I recognize the child of Bethlehem was your son. And I believe that when he died on the cross, he did so for the forgiveness of sin. And I pray now that you will forgive me. That you will cleanse me from all the wrong I have ever done. And I invite you, Lord, to come into my life, into my heart, to dwell with me. And I commit myself from this point forward to following after Jesus to living for you. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you that I am now a child of God. Bless me as I follow you. Allow me even now to taste the reality of the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, I will look forward to that day until you come again, that I might share in your glory. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to